God, I thank you for that truth. I thank you that from eternity past, your plan was to send a great Redeemer. Before the rebellion even occurred, the Redeemer was going to be sent. And Lord, we thank you that that part of that plan is that he did come and has now redeemed his people back to you. Lord, and I thank you that you have now made us sent ones. That you have made us um, in his image, in, in, in the image of his likeness. That's what, that's what we're doing here this morning. That you are pressing that beautiful name of Jesus into our very souls. That we might walk out of here the sweet aroma of Christ in every place. So that I look forward to the ministry of your spirit and your word in this place as we continue to worship you now. And I pray that it would all be for the magnificent and glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is in that name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. John 13, 1 to 15. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not of all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Mimi, so much. And um, grab your Bibles. Find the Gospel of John. Yeah, we are not in Romans. We're taking a little break from our series in Romans. And we're looking at, um, we're going to spend this week and then the next couple weeks, as Brian said, um, during our opening, looking, just kind of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we're going to start by just like sharing together what are some ways that we describe Jesus. So let's start with the young people in the room. So young people in the room, what are some ways that you describe that you would describe Jesus? Kind. kind. Good. That's a good one. What else? Merciful. Merciful. Big words from little people. What? Powerful. Powerful. Good. Loving. Loving. What's that? 
He forgives. Awesome. Now everybody, join in. How else might we describe? So kind, loving, merciful, forgiving. How else might we describe Jesus? Strong. What? Gentle. Just. Compassionate. Righteous. Controversial. Good. Thank you. No, that's good. That's, that's, yeah, absolutely. Especially in the culture. Well, it's always, he's always been controversial. I was going to say in our, in our culture, but he's always been that way. Any others? Servant. Servant. The answer is we could go on and on, right? We could just start listing off all of his titles. He is the wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the one who is and was and is to come, the almighty one. Um, he is loving. He is gracious. He is all of those things you guys are describing. And we could probably spend, and a lot of even our prayer time was spent even in, in a, in a um, in an indirect way, describing the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we could spend a lot, a lot of time doing that. One of the things I, I want us to look at specifically today is how he is a model for us. He, like, he didn't just come, and I say just, like air quotes as big as I could, he didn't just come to save us, he came to live a life that would be a model for us. And we're going to take some time. My, my hope is for the next, um, I don't know what that was. I don't, for, I, um, we're going to take some time. I'm like, what in the world? Um, we're going to take some time in, in the next three weeks, like this week and the next two, to hopefully push the pause button on, on some part of the craziness of our lives. And I, even as I say that, and as I've been praying that this week, and, and even, even this morning as I was coming over here, I'm going, Oh my, like, like I'm thinking about my schedule just this week, and I'm going, now how am I going to fit Jesus in, right? And, and I'm praying that, that we would back up a step, and, and as was prayed so beautifully during our prayer time, that we would make time to just behold the Savior. I mean, if you're here today and you're a Christian, and oh, by the way, we're going into the resurrection um, week here in a couple of weeks, like if not now, if we can't take the next two weeks, and really focus on Jesus, when are we going to do it, right? And so our goal, so part of why we're taking a break from Romans and we're, and we're walking into this resurrection season looking at um, John chapter 13 today, and we're going to do the Seder on, um, next week, and then Good Friday and Easter Sunday, is to, is to help us all make that, that room in our lives. Because he is the model. This is not just though about getting to know Jesus better. This is like this is like getting to know Jesus. Getting like getting his image pressed into us. So I don't want us to walk away here today going, I just want to know more facts about him. I want to really know him to be the truth. So the series that we're in for these three weeks is just called, Do You Know the Truth? But I'm not talking, although we, we will spend some time, especially on Resurrection Sunday, talking about how we know he is the way, truth, and life. How do we, so it's a great time to bring some of the skeptical friends, stu, uh, classmates, etc. that you have, because that will be a great message for them to hear as the Lord is, is planning it out. But, but I really hope for us as God's people to not just know more facts about him, but to really know him. So we're talking today about how do you know the truth of his selflessness? And, and, by, and by design then, if we're Christians and we're to walk Christ-like, do you know the truth of how you are called to live selflessly? And the question that we're asking today is, is a life is, is a selfish, sacrificial like life of service, is that describing your life? 
So if someone were to look at you or someone were to follow you around, if someone were to spend the next two weeks following you around, would words like selfless, sacrificial service be how they would describe, hey, this is what I noticed in Doug's life over the last two weeks. Is that, is that describing your life? And what John is going to show us in the scene that he records um, that is familiar to many of us, certainly not all of us, is that, that um, the questions that we can filter that answer to, because how do we know? Like, how do we know if we're being asked, like, if, if we really are being selfless and sacrificial in our lives? Well, what, the, the, the real answer is, like, what is our number one obstacle to being selfless and sacrificial? Ourselves. Right? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we getting out of the way? And the, and the best way to get out of the way is to behold Christ. So what we're going to see is he's going to show us that we have to live, like, our, our, like ask the questions, are we living a self-seeking way? Are we living self-sacrificially? And then ultimately, are we showing off the Savior? If someone were to follow you around for a week, for the next two weeks, would your life lead them to Jesus? Like ultimately is what Jesus is going to get to at the end of this passage. So with that, let's jump into our first point. And find, are you living like self selfishly or, or um, in a self-seeking sort of way. So what has happened now is Jesus has taken his disciples and they're going to be in the upper room. They're going to celebrate the Passover. This is the, the next scene that you might be familiar with is they get up, they walk through the um, Kidron Valley and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays and he's about to be arrested. So, so time is short. Like this is, these are the last few hours that Jesus is going to get to spend with his disciples physically. Like the last few hours before he gets crucified. So we want to really press into these moments because whatever he does and whatever he says would probably be what he feels to be the most important things he can say to these brothers before he leaves. So look at what it says in verse 1 of chapter 13. We're looking at, are you self-seeking? It says, now brother... Now, now, I'm sorry, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So he, he knows his death is imminent, his earthly death, his human death, he knows it is imminent. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That, that phrase, and some of your translations might say, to love him to the end, is it, is it necessarily a reference of time? Like he loved them to the end of like his physical, like the, the time that he was here. It actually means he loved them to the utmost. Probably the best way to explain it would be, um, would be he showed them the fullness of love. So when it says he loved them to the end, he's saying, I, I have spent the last three years showing you guys what love looks like, is ultimately what that phrase is. And then he says in verse 2, During supper, when the devil had already been put, in, put into, his heart, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I, I, John points this out several times in the, life of, of, in, the, in, the, in the life of Judas in the ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 6, don't turn there, but in John chapter 6, it, when Jesus picks the 12, he says, I, you did not choose me, I chose you. And then he says, and one of you is of the devil. When he picked Judas, he knew what Judas was going to do. Now, so, so he knows what Judas is about to do in the next few hours. So, so keep that in mind as we look and see what's about to happen. So if we keep going, verse 3, it says, Jesus, 
knowing that the Father had given him all, thing, all things into his hand, and he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments or his robe, and took a, a towel and tied it around his waist. Now, guys, think about that. The man who knows his own sovereign authority. It says that in verse 3. Knowing that the Father had given him all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, is what he says in Matthew 28. That, that one takes off his robe and takes on the position of a slave. Like, like we're going to see, like the, the position, the, the physical and service-oriented position he takes is the lowest of the low. And yet he knows he, who he is. At this, he's like, at this point, there is no doubting he understands the, the fullness of who he is. And, and, and yet he does now contrast that, guys, with the goofballs in the room with him. And I'm not talking about Judas. I'm talking about the other 11. Because what you, if, you've, if you've walked with them very long in the Gospels, here's what you know. This comes up, I, I wrote down, so don't, again, don't turn there, but if you're taking notes, in Mark 9.33, in Luke 22.24, and in Matthew chapter 20, there are, and, and in other places, there are multiple scenes where the, where the disciples are arguing what? Which one of us is going to be the greatest? Right? In fact, a couple of times he fronts them up and he's like, hey, gentlemen, what are you guys talking about? Because they're whispering behind him as they're walking along and they don't want to tell him. So they even know it's not the right thing to do. So here are, here are 12 dudes in a room that have spent one of the scenes, um, the mother of James and John. James and John were brothers, the writer of the Gospel of John. They were brothers. Even the mom goes up to Jesus and says, hey, can you make my boys best? When, when we all get there to heaven, can you make them number one? And Jesus is like, you've got this all backwards, right? And, and, and in one of those scenes where they're arguing about who's greatest and who's not, and not just them, but even um, the people around, like in the temple, Jesus stops in the temple and he tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, it, and we're not going to take the time to, I've taught on that, on that parable several times. It's a powerful parable, but, but picture this. The way he describes it is he says, there were these two men. One was a Pharisee. That was supposed to be the picture of the most religious, uh, he's, he's saying us, like the people who are claiming to be Christians of the day, claiming to be God-fearers. There was that dude, and then there was a tax collector. That's his way, that's in that vernacular of saying the biggest sinner in the, in the community. And he says, and the Pharisee goes over and he, and he says, you know, I thank you, Lord, that you hear my prayers. I thank you that I'm not like that guy, to sum it up. And then it says that the sinner, the, the tax collector, not even able to lift his eyes to heaven, says, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then the point Jesus is making is, out of these two people, which one was actually closer to God? The religious one who was standing for the truth, or the one who went, I know I need a savior. Like, that is the ultimate question that we have to ask. So, I saw this quote um, from one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp. He says this. It is tempting to look at the Pharisee and condemn him for self-righteousness. How could he be so pathetic? I would never do a thing like that. I thank God that I'm not like that Pharisee. Here are all the ways I can prove my righteous behavior 
that I'm not like that Pharisee. And just like that, you have become the Pharisee. Right, guys? Now, I, man, when I read that, that convicted the snot out of me. Because I'll be honest, I can read, like, I, I, can, I can watch um, some YouTube videos, and I can listen to some sermons on podcasts and stuff of, of men that I respect greatly, that, that I, I love their theology. I, I just feel like they, they're, they're, they're all truth, no grace. And, my, and, and, my, and, and we'll kind of come back around to that at the end of the message because Jesus does. But at the same time, as I'm judging them, what am I doing? Judging them. I am becoming the very thing I'm saying they shouldn't be. Right? And so we have, to, we have to be honest with ourselves, I guess, if nothing else, and go, how, guys, self-seeking behavior never demonstrates the things that we just described Jesus as at the start of the message. Self-seekingness if that were a thing, never brings us to a lowly, gentle, loving, sacrificial, caring way. Right? Like, like it never brings us to a point of being closer to Christ. When we are seeking our own glorification, even subconsciously, when, when, I am, when, when my pursuit is to grow even a good thing, like the church, but that's the end game, that is a self-seeking thing. And when it's like that, it has now become an idol and an ugly thing to the sight of God. I have become that Pharisee, and so have you. Because anytime we are seeking our own well-being for the sake of just our well-being, we are becoming that self-seeking person that, he is, that, he, that, that Jesus is modeling against us. Guys, and, and sometimes, sometimes our desire, now get this, guys, sometimes because we are a church that stands strong on the Bible, and, and, we'll, and, and as long as I'm here, and as long as our elders are here, we're not going to change that. But sometimes our, our propensity to stand for the truth can be done in a way that looks nothing like Jesus Christ. Right? The truth of God's word is not a brick to throw at people. It is bread to feed people with. And that needs to be done gently. Because, and I said it last week, and it ruffled some feathers, and I'm going to say it again because I want those feathers ruffled. Right? The only people Jesus was harsh to were the ones who claimed to speak for him and did it in an unloving way. Amen. The only one, those, that's it. It was just the Pharisees. He was never harsh to the sinner. He was never harsh to the lost one, right? He, wasn't, he was harsh to the people that, he wasn't even harsh to the pagan god, the people that were worshiping pagan gods. He was harsh to the ones who were claiming to speak for God, but were doing it in an unloving way. So when I see a pastor, or I see this pastor, speak the truth in a way that is hard-hearted and harsh, and I am guilty of that, I wonder, in light of this passage we're looking at, what my Savior thinks of that. And as you're thinking about that, and you're going, well, I'm not, I'm th thank the Lord I'm not a pastor. Okay, absolutely. Thank the Lord. Maybe you're not, that's you. But, but think about your Facebook feed. Think about the people you're choosing to follow on social media 
Think about the videos, the YouTube sermons that you watch. Think about the, like, and, and, and absolutely filter them as was prayed during our prayer time. Filter them first and foremost with, is this the truth of God's word? But don't end there. Finish the thought with, and is it being presented the way Christ would present it? Loving, caring, gentle. Yes, I understand that, that the most loving thing that we can do for somebody is try to convince them that they're believing a lie and lead them into the truth. I'm not saying we just love people and let them live the way they're living. Guys, don't hear that. What I am saying is that as we engage people with the truth of God's word, it needs to be bathed in a spirit of gentleness because that's who Jesus is Guys, the one who was given all authority on heaven and earth took off before he even goes to the cross. We haven't even gotten there yet. Just in this moment with these, with these 12 dudes, one of whom who's going who's gonna to betray him and he knows it, he takes off his robe and takes on the form of a slave. That is, that is the truth getting on its knees to demonstrate gentleness. Getting on his knees to demonstrate gentleness. And how much more should we? So that brings us to our um, second talking points question. So look at your second talking points question on the back of your bulletin insert. It says, are you others oriented? Do you have eyes to see the need? Do you have a heart to help? So let me ask it. I'm not asking for you to say yes or no. Because that is a lose-lose question to answer out loud. Because if you say no, you're like, okay, I mean, at least you're, I mean, you're being honest. I guess that's a win. Honesty is always a win. But if you say yes... I was like, well, okay. It's like, it's like a person that says, I'm not a prideful person, right? You're like, yeah, okay. Um, but in saying that, um, say, so think about it this way. Just, so just think about that question, the first part of that question in this way. Do you tend to walk into opportunities, those opportunities of your life? That could be walking into church on Sunday, sit, walking up to the dinner table at your home. Do you tend to walk up into those opportunities looking to be served or to serve? Do you walk into those moments when you're, having a, when you're, when you're, when you're climbing into bed with your spouse, when you're um, hanging out with friends at school? When you're, do you tend to walk into those moments going, I am here to get something out of this, or I am here to add something to this? Right? That, that's really the heart of the question that I want to get to. So how do we cultivate this idea of, of not being selfish, of, of living. How do we cultivate a life of living selflessly? Well, the answer is be others-oriented. So how do we get to be others-oriented? What are some ways? Now, this is the part I want answers. Go ahead, Adam. Awesome. So, 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 get our, so others-oriented is, is being kingdom-minded, right? Because the kingdom is, is others. It's world. I mean, it's the world is what he wants as his kingdom. And he's someday going to redeem the whole, the, it back to those who have come to faith in Christ. Good. What else? Hospitable. Be hospitable. What else? Give time, talent, and treasure. That's like, like you, are, are, you, are we worshiping? Right? I know Lori talks about this. Like, are, you, are we praying for eyes to see? There's, a, there's an amazing scene in Matthew chapter 9 um, at, the, at the very end of the chapter. I think it's, it's verses 35 through 38 or something like that. And it talks about how Jesus, it says Jesus seeing the crowds. Because all these people are coming to him and they want healing and they, they want to just be near him. And it says seeing the crowds, his heart broke for them. Because they were dispirited and distressed. They were, they, were, they, they, they were wandering around, it says, as sheep without a shepherd. So 
And then he says, so pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the kingdom that he would bring harvesters for his kingdom. But how did it start? It started with him with eyes to see the people as hurting. His eyes saw them. His heart was moved for them. That led him to go, so let's pray that we would actually do something about it. And he's going to get there at the end of this little scene that he gives with the, with the disciples as well. But guys, what about, what about this idea of how do we cultivate eyes to, to be selfless when it comes to peop, like, the people that we, are, that we would consider our enemies? And if enemy is too strong a word, then maybe just somebody, like a, a people or a group of people we disagree with. This could, be, um, this could be a racial issue. Do you struggle with people from different races because you just don't understand them? What about a religious issue? Do you struggle with people that worship a certain way? Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying engaging with them to show them the truth. Absolutely. I'm saying are we immediately going, I, I will never share Jesus with those people. What about people that believe differently politically? What about people that are part of, a, um, of the current cultural moment of the LBGTQ community? What, like, are, we, are we saying, to the, are we in our minds going, but those people don't deserve the gospel? Because there were 12 dudes in the room, and Judas isn't the only one who didn't deserve to have his feet washed. None of them deserved to have Jesus's feet, or Jesus wash their feet, and he did it Anyway, our job is to look to love other people without asking the question first, do they deserve it? Because the answer to that question for all of us when it comes to Christ is no. And that leads us to our second point. So the first thing is, so is the selfless sacrifice of service defining characteristic of your life? Are you self-seeking? And then the other is, are, but are you self-sacrificing? So look, we're going to keep going. Look at what it says. It says, verse 5, then he pours. So after he gets up, which right away, he gets up in the middle of the meal. They're all like freaking out. Like, what, what happened? What's he doing? Where's he going? Right? Because this is not part of the program. They've celebrated the meal with him before. He's never done this. So they're like, whoa, wait a second. He pours a basin of water and begins to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that is wrapped around them. Now, I mentioned earlier, but just, just so you know, foot. Foot washing was a common practice in that culture because it was necessary. That they, they lived in a culture that was all dirt roads and animal droppings, etc. And so the lowliest of the low would be the foot washers. That means if you had servants, the, the lowest servant would be the foot washing servant. If you didn't have servants, guess who'd wash the feet? The kids. And if they didn't have kids, it would be the wife. That was, the, that was but it was whoever was considered the lowest status in their community in their, in their family, in their circle, they would be the foot washer. So when he gets up, takes off his robe, puts on his towel, and then he starts washing his feet, he is clearly saying to them, guys, I am demonstrating that I am the lowest form in this community. And w at least one of them isn't really happy with that. So it says, and he came to Simon Peter and he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now the you there is in, is in, the, in the emphatic in the Greek, which means you would read it like this. Do you wash my feet? Now, implied in that, I was reading some stuff about this, implied in that is Peter was saying something to the effect of, Jesus, you shouldn't be washing my feet, but some of these other dudes should probably be washing my feet. Like, not you. I mean, not you, but, but I am, I'm Peter. Like, I'm certainly better than, you know, like, you know let, let's get Thomas over here. He's going to doubt you anyway. Come on. 
right? And, and, and so there's this, there's this level of arrogance even in how, G, in how Peter answers the, asks the question. And he says, um, and then Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will later. And then in verse 8 and 9, this is just another one of those typical Peter suffers from the open mouth insert foot disease. And he says, you shall never wash my feet. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, if I don't wash you, then you have no share with me. Then you're not really my disciple is what he's saying. So Peter says, Lord, not my feet, then my hands and my head always. So just like he always does, he takes it to the other extreme. And and we can get lost in what all that means. But he says, look, Jesus says, look. The one who's been bathed does not need to wash. So the, so the one who's already, the point he's making spiritually is the point who's already mine doesn't need to be rewashed. Only his feet do because the dirt of this world sticks to us as believers. This is why foot washing was not a sacrament in the early church. There are churches, there are people that profess faith in, in, in Christianity that, that they make, so they have like baptism, the Lord's Supper, and foot washing as, as all part of the same like idea, like the same level. The reason most, almost, almost all, I won't say all, but almost all of the early church did not practice foot washing is because washing your feet wasn't the point Jesus was making. And we'll see that here in just a minute. What he's ultimately saying, he's, he's, not, he's speaking of an act of service, not like salvation. He's not saying you have to have your feet washed to be saved. Um, but then he says, um, but not, but all, you are clean, but not all of you. So that's that reference to Judas again, because verse 11 says, for he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said not all of you are clean. Now here's the point, verses 12 through 15. Here's the point of the second point, this idea of being self-sacrificial. When he had washed their feet, he put, out his, he put back on his outer garment, resumed his place, and said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You call me dekaila, didactileos would be the teacher, or rabbi, you call me rabbi, and kyrios, Lord. He's saying, you're not calling me savior, redeemer, you're calling me like your discipler. They're seeing him as their rabbi. You call me that, and I am. He's saying, you give me the greatest title in the room. You all are following me, is what he's saying. And you're not wrong. He's like, and you're right. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash everyone else's feet. For I have given you a, an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Now that word example there would be a pattern or an illustration of life. Would be what that word really could fully be translated as. So he's saying what I have done to you is an illustration of what you ought to do to others. Now what did he do? What he did was selflessly, sacrificially serve those that the community their immediate community of the 12, the 13 of them in the room, would have considered the lesser, the least of. Right? He's saying, what I have done is the one who rightfully has the highest title in the room has become the lowest. And I want to show you that that's what I'm telling. And he says, and I've given you an example so that you'll do the same thing. What's the same thing? Washing feet? No. The same thing is going, I should be the lowest person in the room. Right? That's ultimately what he's trying to press them and us into. Guys, in the kingdom of God, it is not about titles. It is not about position. It is not about success from an earthworldly perspective. It is not about, like, fight. Like, the, but that rails against our culture, especially the American culture. 
right? Because the American culture, of the, even, even the good parts of our American culture, the American dream, the, the, like, like, like you're going um, to work your way to success, right? And, and, and that's often on the backs of other people, right? Like that fits the American culture. But the kingdom culture, as Adam said, the kingdom of God culture is completely the opposite. So I, I've read this before, but it's been a long time. But um, one of my favorite, pa- he's a retired pastor, but um, author's Ray Ortland. He, he wrote this, he calls it the unbeatitudes. So this is, what, this is what our culture celebrates. Congratulations to the entitled, for this world lies at their feet. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall get ahead. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. Now what he's talking about, obviously, is he's doing the opposite of what Jesus does at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Beatitudes, the congratulations, the blessed R's of the Beatitudes say this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, I know we went through it fast. That's Matthew chapter 5. Write it down. Look it over. I want, I want you to, like, from, a, from, from our perspective, even from, from the church's perspective, capital C Church, is, are the, are the way, is the way that Jesus describes the blessed, the blessed life at the beginning of his longest piece of teaching he ever does, the Sermon on the Mount, he's just saying, this is what it looks like to be mine. Is that describing how we function as Christians? Is that describing the part, that, that, like the pieces of our Christianity that, that we really are embracing? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the needy. Blessed are the persecuted. Now some of you are going, yeah, I'm persecuted because of, okay, maybe, maybe you are being persecuted for the truth. Maybe you're just being persecuted for being a jerk. Right? You've got to ask yourself that question. It goes back to that first point. Are sharing the truth in love? Is the thing they're confronting the way you're talking to them or what you're saying now you can say it as loving as as you, as possible and you can still get confronted i'm not saying that if you're being confronted or if you're being persecuted it's because you're not doing it right i'm saying most of the time you're probably doing it right and you're still getting persecuted i'm also saying though we can be that pharisee that goes but i'm the one standing over here for truth and that's what you're getting persecuted for for being a not very nice person right guys there's 28 feet in this room, in the, in the room he's in. 28, right? Does that make sense? No, 26. 26 feet. Do the math. Some young person. What's 13 times 2? 26, right? So it's 26 feet in the room. What two got washed for sure? Judas. What two didn't get washed? Jesus's. The only two feet in the whole room that never seemed to get washed. It's not, Jesus 
chose to wash their feet before Judas leaves the room on purpose. Right? That's supposed to be our heart. Now, let's pick it up in our last point. In this, um, or sorry, in our last talking points question. And then we're going to start to land this plane. And the last point goes fast, I promise. But look at your um, last talking points question. It says, you are to be different. Whoever, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. This is Jesus speaking. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I'm not asking for input here. I'm just saying I want you to stop and think about this. That's our model. How we doing? Jesus is our model. He came not to be served, but to serve. In fact, in verse 17, he says, in the passage we're in, he says, or verse 16 and 17, he says, Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, it's not about head knowledge, blessed are you if you do them. And I'm going to say it one more time. Guys, the, the, the peop, our job as Christians to, mo, to, be the, to follow his model, our job as Christians is to love other people without first asking the question, do they deserve my love? Do they deserve Christ's love? Our job is to just love them. That's what he's trying to, he's saying, you're blessed if you will do what I just did. There is no earthly reason for me to love any of you, especially Judas, and yet I'm not only loving you, I'm going to demonstrate the depth of my love by becoming the lowest person in the room. So young people, I'm going to ask, well, all of us, I'm going to ask you, like, what is your, what is your predisposition? When service is over and we're all getting out of here and there's stuff to be cleaned up or there's something on the floor or there's, or there's trash outside after you guys have been playing, is, or do you walk by it and go, I'm glad somebody's around who can take care of that? Or do you go, you know what, if not me, who? If not now, when? And just pick the stuff up. But I carry that to your home. Carry that to your Spouse, right? Are, are we scorekeeping? I'll, I'll be honest. The answer is yes. Guys, the answer to every one of us, are, are in our humanity, when we're living that, when that fleshly part of us is still alive, is, is, is rearing its ugly head, we are scorekeeping. And we're not walking back into our home, or we're not going upstairs at the end of the night, or we're not going to the dinner table going, regardless of whether I feel served by her or by them, or by whatever, I am going to serve. Because that's who I am in Christ. In Christ. I can either in that moment go, this is who I am in Doug, and go, you know what? I'm not getting my needs met. Good luck with that. I'm, I'm better than that. Guys, why? All 12 of the men walked by the basin of water. Why didn't any of them pick it up? Because they all thought they were above it. They all thought one of the other ones of them was beneath them. And we do that not just to the world, not just to each other in the church, like here. We do that in our homes all the time. So tomorrow morning when you get up and you're like, man, I, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like my needs were being met last night or I don't feel like this and this and this was happening. Are you going to go in that moment? Are you going to go, but I am going to choose to serve my spouse because that's who I am in Christ. And, and I'm doing it for him. I'm not doing it for them. 
Guys, that moment is an act of worship that will get your eyes on him. Remember what we prayed about for the first 40 minutes or 30 minutes of our time? We're praying about that we would behold the beauty of Christ. Guess how you behold the beauty of Christ? By being like Christ. Right? That is a, that is a beautiful behold moment. And I, and I want to encourage all of us to, to like when we're, when we're in that moment to go, I am going to choose to be lesser because he chose to be lesser. And in that choosing to be lesser, he's going to be greater that he might increase, that I might decrease. That supernatural act is the Christian walk, and it's so stinking hard because I don't like it. Like, my flesh doesn't like it. I want what I want when I want it, and so do you. It's just the way it is. And if you're sitting here today going, I'm not that way, you and I need to talk. Let's look at our last point. And it does go fast. So, is a selfless sacrifice of service a defining characteristic of your life? Well, ask yourself the question. Are you self-seeking, even subconsciously or subversively or quietly? Like you're not out there trying to get your own way, but it's just happening. Or are you another thing to go, so am I naturally self-sacrificing? Do I walk into moments going, how can I give my life away? How can I serve my spouse? How can I serve my children? Children, how can I serve my sibling? How can I, or, or, am I, or am I back to the first one? And then the last part is all of that is so that you are you showing off the Savior. Because if you haven't gotten it by now, the whole reason he orchestrated this moment was to give us an example of, of dying to self for those that we think are beneath us so that he might be shown off. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm doing this as an example. I didn't need to wash your feet. I am showing you what it looks like to die. And in a little bit, he's going to show them, like, really what it looks like to die. But this moment for, is, is, is just as important, minus the biggie, which is, our, like, as far as, as far as modeling the death to self. This moment is a death to self moment for Jesus, just like going saying, just like in the garden when he prays, not my will, but your will be done, Father. That's a death to moment self. And just like when he lets them arrest him and take him to the cross, that's a death to moment self. Now, in that death, the propitiation of our sin happened, and because that happened, his spirit came, and that's how you have the power to do what he's telling us to do all the way back here in chapter 13. So let's look at the last few verses and this last point of showing him off. He says, you're going to be blessed if you do them, verse 17. And then verse 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I've chosen. So what he's saying is, I know, because back in chapter 6, one of you I chose is of the devil, Judas. And he says, I know who I chose. I know exactly who he is. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread, ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And I'm going to take a minute, even though I, I just because it's, it's worth it. So the opening passage, the calling passage that Brian read in Psalm 55. Jesus is quoting Psalm 41. The, the, the connected passage is Psalm 55. That's written by David. It's written by David at a time when, when one of his counselors, who was in his inner court, who ate with him all the time, his name was Halithophel, it's hard to say with a dry mouth. Halithophel turns against him and helps his son Absalom steal the kingdom. 
And, and David's like, if you, if you, maybe you don't remember, but David's like, when he's writing that psalm, he's going, and you're going to read it again this week. He says, he says like, if, if it had been an enemy of mine that had betrayed me, that'd be okay. But this is a friend. This is someone I invited into my home. And he's like, and that hurts even more. And everybody in here has been stung that way. And yet, Jesus, and, and oh, by the way, Halithophel later hung himself. Interesting. Because what does Judas do? Hangs himself. Right? But, but, but guys, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Right? On purpose. David invited Mephibosheth, who was of the enemy family, Saul's family, to eat at his table regularly. Right? It can be done differently by the power of the Spirit. Now, let's keep going. I'm telling you this now so that before it takes place, so he's, it's one of those times where he's like, hey, I'm telling you that, things are gonna, that this is going to happen because you're going to freak out when I go to the cross. And they do. He says that when it takes place, you will believe that I am he. Truly I say to you that he who receives me, that he who receives, now get this, guys. Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, whoever, guys, he's saying, we, whoever I send, if they receive you, they receive me. We're the ones he sent. He's saying, I'm sending you as the Father sent me, he says in John chapter 17. We're, we're the sent ones. So as the music team comes up, and you're, and you're guys, the, the, the motivation for being an example of Christ is, is what we spent all that time praying about. It's, it's not just so that, it's not your self-glorification. It's not that you'd feel better about yourself. It's not that you would be a better husband or a better wife or a better father or a better kid or a better classmate or a better coworker. That's not the motivation. The motivation is that you would show Jesus. He's saying, I gave you this example that you would be blessed if you'll do it. And oh, by the way, that you'll do it out there. As I send you, how people receive you isn't up to you. But this is not about, and all of this, what we're doing here this morning, is not about us having a better life. It's not about us being happier. It's about, show, it's about us looking more like Jesus that we might show him to a world that needs to see him. So Paul says it this way. And we'll close our time with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Because the reason selfless, sacrificial living should be a distinguishing characteristic of your life is because every, there, is, there is probably little that you could do or say that will show people the person and work of Christ better than when, when they watch you choose to prefer them over you. I'm going to say that again. There is probably nothing you could do or say that will better show the 
people you're with, the person and work of Christ, than when you choose to prefer them over yourself. Because that's what he did. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that you have empowered us by your spirit to be your ambassadors. That we cannot do this on our own. We cannot be Christ-like just by walking out of here going, okay, I am going to die to self. But in those moments where we're struggling between the flesh and the spirit, like, like Paul taught, taught us in Romans chapter 7, when we're struggling to, to decide, are we going to walk in the spirit? Or are we going to walk in the flesh? Lord, I pray that we wouldn't even look at the people in front of us or the person that we live with, or, or, but that we would look at Jesus and we would, we would look at the cross and we'd look at the upper room and we'd say, he chose to wash my feet. I did not deserve it. He chose to go to the cross for me. I did not deserve it. How can I not, in light of that, choose to prefer this person in front of me. That's our motivation. Your glory is our motivation. May your glory be manifested in that. In Jesus' name, amen.